Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. The Missing Link will help you or your business connect with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Find them at tmlthemissinglink.com.au. Here is your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max. But today we are joined by former Australian Opal star and NBL courtside reporter Jenny Screen. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. It's fantastic to have you on. How are you doing? Hey, Max. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I think I'm your first female. Am I yep. correct in saying that? Yeah. So that ticks a box and, and hopefully you have more. But I, I don't know if I should call you Max. I think I should call you Maximus because I think it's pretty <laughs> cool what you're doing, especially at your age. So thanks for having me. Thanks. Now I'd like to start about sort of like what were your childhood years are like for you? Oh, uh, that's a pretty in-depth question to start with. Um, pretty good. I mean, I, I, I grew up in a, um, a divorce family. So uh, my parents separated when I was very young and mm-hmm. that had its challenges. Um, I'm one of five technically, but obviously have half brothers and, and siblings and sisters and the, and the like. So yep. um, who I'm still quite close to today and, um, and I'm the eldest as well. So, you know, a little bit of responsibility, I guess. And um, <laughs> but I grew up predominantly with my mom when I was younger and still saw my dad. And, and um, but then I went to boarding school in Queensland from the age of 13. So um, that was, that was different, um, but I loved it. I loved being in boarding school. Mm-hmm. It gave me a routine and discipline and um, the ability to organize my time and um, and I flourished there and um, and then I started playing basketball when I was about 14 but I did every other sport prior to that Um, so basketball Mm -hmm. wasn't my one and only sport Um, I dabbled in lots of things Um, so that's kind of my childhood in a nutshell and um, so yeah I lived away from home I was born in Newcastle and then moved to Queensland um, with my mum. Uh, she was a head of sport at the school I was at, but then she left to go back to New South Wales and I decided to stay and uh, finish in Queensland in Toowoomba and, um, and went from there. Basically, I've never been, I've been home since, but, um, you know, sometimes my mum still treats me like I'm 13, not almost 40. <laughs> Can you explain to our listeners um, how you started in basketball um, I believe, yeah, like you mentioned, in Toowoomba, Queensland. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my mum played the game. She was um, a very well-known in Newcastle, which has a very good, rich heritage in, in the game of, um, in, our, in our great game. And yep. um, she played there. She played for New South Wales. So from the day I was born, um, I pretty much spent my first few formative years on benches with senior women's teams and that my mum played in and then also in change rooms so got to be amongst it from an early age my mum recalls that she would uh you know sub herself out to feed me on the bench um not that I (laughs) clearly remember any of this um because I was probably just the kid crying and needed to be fed but yeah I was um I was uh showing the game from a young age and um and I guess Whilst I didn't play it until I was truly 14, when I, 13, 14, when I hit high school, it obviously was in my blood. And um, so, yeah, that's when I started and, um, and then it grew from there. But I was very lucky that my mum, she was heavily in sport and so was my dad um, and encouraged me to play all sports. And I think that's really important. So I, I dabbled in um, swimming. I used to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Wow. I dabbled in 
in ballet and gymnastics before my body just wasn't um, the right fit for ballet and gymnastics. And, you know, I was never the petite type. I was always <laughs> a solid brain girl. Um, so, and, you know, and then I did everything in between. I was always that kid who uh, didn't sit around in circles at lunchtime with other girls. I was always looking mm-hmm. for where are the boys? I want to play. What are they playing? <laughs> Even if it's footy or rugby, I just wanted to be amongst it. And, and volleyball and netball were a big part of my my junior pathway as well. So I owe a lot to those other sports for giving me, um, I guess, skill acquisition to be able to play the great game of basketball. From 1999 through to 2001, you played with and uh, had a scholarship with the AIS, the Australian Institute of Sport. Can you open up on those years at the AIS and that entire experience for you? Yeah, for me, mate, um, it was phenomenal. I I didn't actually know that AIS existed until I got to about 15 um, Mm -hmm. and I started going to nationals and and I sadly missed out on an Australian camp um, from the under-16 nationals, which I was pretty devastated about. And um, and then back in the day, you had to actually apply to go to the AIS. And at that time, Phil Brown, who's one of I think one of the greatest development coaches in Australia, he was the head coach. And um, I never, and I always missed out on the scholarships and I had a bit of a heart condition when I was top age 18s and um, had some adversity through there. And then I remember getting a phone call from him that I had been accepted because I, I was quite good at netball as well. And um, I had to decide come year 11 and 12, which sport I was going to choose because my mum was a teacher as well. So yeah. education was really, really important. She drummed that into me that one injury away and um, my sport, sporting life or career could be over. So I ended up choosing basketball because it was Olympic sport and um, I wanted to go to the Olympics. So chose basketball, got accepted to the AIS. And um, sadly, I did my knee. I trained for seven months in the lead up yeah. to the WNBL because we played in the WNBL and yeah. first came in, um, the second week after our first game, I did my ACL and I was 17. And um, that was pretty gut-wrenching, but I was in the greatest facility in the world to be able to do my rehab. And, um, and then I came back in five and a half months. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't have a scholarship for me in my second year. And um, they said goodbye and that door closed, but it opened again very quickly because another girl got injured. Um, which is the reality with sport and the door reopened for me and they gave me another scholarship. So I got another year um, and then I took full hold of those opportunities and went on to um, go to the Australian junior, um, play with the Australian junior team and went to the the world championships in Bruno in 1999, which seems like a long time ago, mate. You're (laughs) making me feel very old. What were those um, Australian junior championships like? Yeah, amazing. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't medal. We finished fourth. Uh, we should have. We, we went down to uh, the home team Czech, oh, sorry, Russia in the semifinal and the team that yeah. won it was Czech. But, um, you know, those girls I played with, uh, majority of them are still um, some of my best friends to today. So um, I'm very lucky that those years at the AIS and those opportunities that I got in my junior career really not only paved the the way for me in my sporting and professional career, but also in my journey as a, as a person. And to know that three girls on that team that I played with ended up being my best friends and, um, and were in my bridal party um, almost 12 years later is pretty <laughs> cool. Moving uh, into the WNBL, like you mentioned before, how did the opportunity um, of playing with the Adelaide Lightning present itself in 2001? 
Well, pretty much came off the back of the um, the World Championships in 1999. I was um, tossing up between Townsville and Adelaide and um, Dave Herbert was the coach in Townsville and Jan Sterling was the head coach in Adelaide and um, I chose Adelaide and I can't really tell you why. Actually, yes, I can tell you why. <laughs> I can tell you why because of the rich, the rich heritage that Adelaide Lightning had and I was, I was choosing Adelaide because of the players that were in the team and that yep. was the likes of Rachel Spawn. Jay Kingy um, and uh, and the like, and, and Michelle Brogan was another one. And to play with women of that calibre, and they've all represented Australia, um, some have gone to Olympics, Commonwealth Games, like I knew that I could learn from those girls day in and day yep. out. And um, so I was willing to forego perhaps my own court time because I knew every day I went to work with those girls, I would learn from their experience and, and that I did. And, and like I said about friendships before, they're still my friends today. Um, they treat me more like I'm their, their little, uh, um, uh, their niece. Um, <laughs> but obviously are a little bit older than me, um, but at the same time, they're, they're phenomenal. They're phenomenal in their own right. And that's pretty much the, the, rain, the main reason that I chose Adelaide. You played the guard position at the Lightning um, for around four seasons. Can you take me through these seasons for you and your role in the team? Yeah, look, when you're coming out of the AIS as a debutant, um, the expectation isn't probably <clears throat> that you play a lot. You're there to learn and earn the earn the right to play. And um, a lot has changed. You know, when I signed with Adelaide back in the day, I, I think I was on $7,000 um, and that was taxed and I worked... <laughs> two full-time jobs and I went to uni as well. Um, so, and I was at uni full-time. So I look back on that and go, damn, how did I do that? But <laughs> I guess because I was paying rent, I was living away from home as well. So you got to remember I moved straight from Queensland to, to Adelaide. I didn't go home in between and um, I had to look after myself, you know? So um, there was no other option. I just had to work and I had to go to uni and, and those type of things. So I balanced it all as best I could. We used to train early morning. We would train at 5.30 in the morning and then we'd also train in the afternoon. So they were really big on making sure that they gave us enough time in the, during the day to actually either go to uni or go to work, which was, was, which was really good um, on Adelaide Lightning's behalf. But I, I enjoyed it. Um, I finally got some opportunity in my first year and did really well. Sadly, in my second year, I, I did my knee again, um, which was uh, my opposite knee. And, um, and then I spent another nine months on the sideline because I'd had another knee reconstruction. So that was pretty devastating. Um, but they stood by me and, and um, I went back as much as I could and I worked hard in my rehab. And, and then a new coach came along and Chris Lucas because Jan stepped down and retired mm -hmm. to focus on the Australian team. And I had a great time under him. He, he got me to the next level. Um, he got me into the Australian squad and... Um, really completed me as an all-round player, which was pretty exciting. So having um, sort of done your knee um, two times already, how do you find like the sort of rehab process and what was that like for you? Um, and did you find any differences between the first time and the second time? Yeah, great question, buddy. The first one um, was pretty, pretty straightforward, right? Because I was at the AIS, I had world-class treatment every day. I could check in whenever I wanted and, mm -hmm. and I had people looking after me. Once I moved to Adelaide, I was 19 and I was on my own. And, and whilst the club did a great job and, and helped me with my rehab, you have to get to places, everything yeah. costs money. And, and, it, and it was a lot harder. It took a, long, a lot longer to recover from because I had a lot of bone bruising as well. But 
I reflect on those moments um, as building me resilience and the grit to I believe truly in life that we can't handle. And I chose to see the good in, in my injuries whilst I was out of the game a long time. I chose yep. to sit on the sidelines and learn and see the game from a different angle uh, rather than being in it. And, and that's probably why I got into a bit of coaching as well. And, and I just, you know, the aim was always to come back fitter than what I was. And then the year after that second knee that I'd done and I'd had hurt my back in between as well was just, I didn't want to miss a game and I was going to do everything <laughs> in my power, regardless of, you know, what transpired. I just was working towards playing every game. I just wanted to get through a season where I played 22 games, regardless yeah. of how well I played and, um, and get some continuity back in my game. And, and fortuitously it, it paid off and I, you know, was working out with the great people, but yeah, injuries are tough, mate. And, um, but it's a part of sport and you just got to roll with the punches and, you know, I always say, fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up. And, you know, I had great people around me that helped me up when I couldn't get up. You won the WNBL's uh, Good Hands Award in 2005. For those who don't know, what's the award about and what's it mean to you? Look at you. You've done your homework, <laughs> haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so that one is basically um, you, yeah, your assist to turnover ratio. So mm -hmm. I pri prided myself on being a great passer. My mum taught me how to pass at a, at a young age. She didn't want a, a girl that passed soft. So I always, yep. um, you know, learned how to pass and pass hard and pass firm. And, and now as a coach, I talk language of on time, on target and, you know, I think assists are just as valuable as getting points because if it wasn't without the person passing the ball, the person shooting it wouldn't have those opportunities. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a, a great privilege to get that award. Um, but at the same time, I, I was surrounded by great athletes that were able to put the ball in the hole. So um, that made it good as well. So, yeah, look at you going with all your, um, your knowledge. I'm impressed. I don't even think that award is <laughs> anymore. No. So, um, but it should. Really yeah. <laughs> now the team was renamed on um, the Adelaide Fellas after the 2004-05 season. Why did they change the name of the club and what was your whole perspective on that? Yeah, it was a tough one, bud, because um, we, we got new naming rights and they wanted to um, put their name and it kind of made it might have been weird it was fellas lightning I don't know and I was mm -hmm. too young to probably and naive to care um I I, I am a bit of a traditionalist and yeah. um I like things to stay as they are and were and I think it's important to pay respects and due diligence to the people that walked before you um, yeah. that put on that uniform and that Adelaide Lightning uniform had been around since the the early 90s and uh, I think the 90s they were huge anyway and then before that as well so um, there's a lot of great athletes that wore that uniform and donned those red um, yellow and uh, and blue colors so it was it was tough but we just got along with it and, and still represented our club as the best we could. And, and we still paid homage to those before us. And then I, it was nice to see that it came full circle and we went back to Adelaide Lightning um, because that's, you know, we're Captain Lightning and, um, and it, we respect the history and the heritage of the club, club that it is. Over your career, you've played sort of numerous and various times for Australia. What does it mean to put on the green and gold and represent your country? Um, I get really emotional every time I'm asked that question or I talk to people about it because uh, for me, it's a highlight. Uh, mm -hmm. 
there is this feeling inside, regardless of how much court time you play, what your role is with the team. But to know that I'll never forget the day that I went to my first Olympics and you get inducted um, by yeah. certain people. And uh, Laurie Lawrence, who was a former Australian swimming coach, he was like the mascot or the, the team mentor. And my mm -hmm. first 2008, he, I got inducted and he does a welcoming speech to every team. And I remember his words and he said, congratulations, you are 0.00000009% of the population that gets this opportunity. And when I heard that, yeah. knowing that I was in a team of uh, 400 athletes thereabouts, it was like, wow, you know, and it yeah. really hit home. And so when I, when I put on that green and gold, um, it was always special and um, it was an honour and it was most certainly a privilege. I never took it for granted. And even now that I'm not playing, I watch those girls play and I watch the boomers play as well mm -hmm. and I get goosebumps and I, and I smile with pride because I know what it represents. And um, we spoke about it before with Little Lightning. It's the same thing. It's just another team with the same history that you have to carry. So mm -hmm. I always tried to carry and wear that uniform and in, re in the respect for the name on the front, which was for Australia, rather than the name on the back, which is my name. Um, but I will forever hold dear to being an Opal at my, in my heart. Yourself and the Aussie Opals took home the gold medal at the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. How did you find that experience of winning the gold medal on home soil? Here's a lesson for you, bud. You know, in terms of journalism, sometimes things that you read aren't true. I actually didn't make that team. Oh, no. I, I know, but it's okay because I get asked <laughs> that question all the time. And sadly, um, but fortuitously, I was the last one to be cut. Um, oh. And that was probably the hardest point in my life, but actually the best because getting cut from that team um, ultimately pushed me into the direction to end up having a great career with the Opals. And mm -hmm. um, that was doubled because not only did I not make that team, my, my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband, mm -hmm. he made that team. He made the Boomers team. And his brother, Craig Mottram, who, who is a four-time Olympian, he also made that team. And compounded even more, it was in <laughs> Australia. So I got cut. My, my now husband, who was my boyfriend, then made the Boomers team. So I didn't get to share it with him. And then also his yep. brother made it. We didn't get to share it as a unit. And, and also it was in Melbourne. So I couldn't hide. It was everywhere. And I remember the opening ceremony and I was watching it in my, my bedroom at home and I was just crying. I cried and I cried mm. and I cried. I was, I was heartbroken because yep. um, I wanted to be there and, and share it with those people. But it wasn't meant to be. But I sat there and... I felt sorry for myself, but I remember I was like, all right, what am I going to do about this? Because I may not have made the Com Games team, but I was still in the squad to make the World Championship team, yep. which was only two months later. So I had a choice. My choice was, screw you. You don't like me. Well, <laughs> I don't play for you anymore. Or I won't try. I'll just go do my own thing or I'll go, nah, I'll prove you wrong. And I'll do everything mm -hmm. in my power to try and show you that I'm worthy of an opportunity. And lucky for me, um, three months later, I am standing as a world champion alongside 11 other fabulous young women and we're the only gold medal ever at a world championship for, in senior men's or women's basketball today. So I think I choose that over the, the Com Games yeah. any day. What was that like to win gold um, at the world championships in Brazil and 
How does it feel to sort of win in another country and sort of bring the medal back home? Oh, it was pretty special, buddy. Um, and it still is to this day. I remember the crowd, 20,000 Brazilians, and we had to play Brazil twice. And yeah. I remember I remember sitting on the bench and at, I couldn't even hear my teammates next to me. It was so loud. <laughs> They're very passionate and they had drums and bongos and that was just going nuts. But, you know, I... Uh, that was, I remember my role in that team was very different to how it transpired later on, but I was young. It was my first, my first ever um, opportunity to represent the green and gold. And I just lapped it all up. I was surrounded by um, amazing talent. Lauren Jackson, Penny Taylor was MVP. Um, mm -hmm. I remember having to go on and defend some of the greatest players in the world. And it was, it was huge. And to know, it's kind of sad that it's the only gold, but at the same time, it's pretty special to know that you're one of 12 to get the first ever goal. But, yeah. man, I want the boomers all <laughs> this next Olympics to get gold. Like it's, back time, yeah. it's about time we get back up there. So I'm, I'll be rooting for all of them um, come Tokyo soon. What was that like to be in the presence of the great Lauren Jackson? Oh, pretty special. So I was pretty intimidated by her and, and that's just natural, right, because... Mm -hmm. She's Lauren Jackson, and yeah. she's like, like they're amazing, and you you're inspired by them um, as equally are as you're intimidated because you mm -hmm. you're not even on the same level, and I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> and um, but you know, I got to develop a relationship with with Lauren probably to the later part of our journey, and mm -hmm. um, Lauren loses, you know, she'll tell you firsthand she's very much an introvert. Um, I could never imagine the pressure that she felt as a player, um, both yeah. internally and externally as well. And um, it was just a privilege to be able to grow up in an era where I had the opportunity to play alongside the likes of her and Penny Taylor and Christy Harrower and um, Jenny Whittle and Belinda Snell and and I could go on. Um, <laughs> I never felt worthy, but I learned so much from those girls. And Lauren was the type of player that she had this look in her eye, right? And as soon as she stepped on that court, it was like, I'm going to kill you. Um, <laughs> and I loved that about her. She was so, you talk about passion and pride and representing mm -hmm. your country. Yeah, she was that to a T and as was every girl that played for their country. So um, I learned a lot from Laws and um, and uh, I'm, it's it's good to know that even though we're old and got grey hair now, um, <laughs> that, you know, we can still buzz each other or send a text and check in every now and then. Now, let me know if I've got my homework correct, but I believe <laughs> that between 06 and 09, um, you played a couple of seasons in Europe for Palmer. Can you elaborate on that experience of playing overseas in a foreign country? Yeah, it was um, it was great, actually. Um, I loved it. In, in hindsight, I wish I enjoyed it more. Um, but when you're in the thick of it and um, I remember the first time I arrived, so after the World Championships, um, I obviously got picked up and um, it was good because my partner, Neil, um, mm -hmm. he also was playing in Italy and we were literally 356Ks apart. So <laughs> that, he was the only person that I knew in Italy at the time and we yeah. were trying to up as much as we could, which was only once a week, if mm -hmm. that. And um, But I remember getting off the plane, walking into my first game and sitting in the change room my coach was Italian he didn't speak English so one of my teammates who spoke English and Italian she was translating for me from Italian to English I had mm -hmm. two, two Croatian teammates one spoke Italian Croatian 
she was translating the Italian to Croatian. And then uh-huh. I had a teammate um, who was, uh, I had two Belgium and they were speaking French. So yeah. you had the coach speaking and then three others at the same time. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is intense. <laughs> but the about basketball, right, is that it's a world game. So yeah. even though we speak the same language, there's a, there's a common understanding at some yeah. level. Um, you know, I played overseas for six years and it was all in Italy and, and played in the, the Euro Cup as well. And, and I loved it. But that was back in the day when we didn't have Zoom and yeah. I, used to, I used to use dial-up and we didn't have um, Google Maps. And so if you got lost, you got lost. And yep. we had like tom-toms. You wouldn't even know what they are because you weren't even born. But they're <laughs> like tabs that you plugged into the, into the car. So it was a very different time. And if the one day my inter- internet didn't work, it would be the last day in the world because... You know, you needed that connection with people back home. But mm-hmm. um, it was great. Um, I learned the language uh, whilst I was there and um, met some lifelong friends as well. And I hope to go back and I still keep in touch with a lot of people that I played with over there and one day I'll return. And because I played, I think, a hunt, oh, I think over 200 games for Palmer, which is wow. the, high, the highest um, foreigner to play so I was I was a pretty loyal person and I loved the club so I stayed for a long time and um yeah I think I'm only behind Cynthia Cooper who um is an American and we're the the num- the highest number of games played by a foreigner um for Palmer which is pretty special too. In 2012 um played your second Olympic Games uh, in London this time claiming the bronze medal can you take me through that bronze medal match? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, yes, I can because i got a big black eye, right? Um, <laughs> um, so actually, was that? No. Yeah, no, that was in the semi. I got a big black eye. Um, the, the, the last game we played Russia and, um, you know, it, it's always hard because we have this certain expectation when we go to Olympics that we want to win. I'm not, we're not mm-hmm. going to be silent about yeah. that. And we'd medaled for five Olympics. So um, there's always that expectation that we're going to medal again. It's really mm-hmm. weird to your last, you get silver like at 08 and you're devastated, right? Yep. Bronze, which is third at your next Olympics, but you're happy because you finish on a win. Yeah. So it's a <laughs> completely different dynamic. Um, it, it was great. Um, it was exciting. Um, I remember I had a massive big black eye and oh. um, was trying, and that was from the semi final uh, against USA, where I couldn't play in the second half because I couldn't see out of my eye. And mm-hmm. um, that was pretty devastating because I thought we were going to get over America. We were up at half time and the confidence was pretty high, but unfortunately they overran us. But to beat Russia again, and we've done that at the World Championships back in 06 as well, it's always mm-hmm. tough. And I had Becky Hammond, who's now in. I coach with NBA with the um, NBA team, the San Antonio Spurs, and mm-hmm. so to get to get three medals in my career when I played for the Opals in the ten years that I did, um, that's pretty special. Uh, it doesn't come yep. around very often, and I can I can say wholeheartedly whether it was you know you always want gold, but any medal is pretty special because there's a lot of people that go to the Olympics and and walk away with nothing. So I always try to keep that perspective. Can you take me through how you got that black eye? Yeah, so I remember it was in the corner. I actually remember it was in the corner just outside yeah. the kitchen in front of the American bench mm-hmm. and I was going up for a rebound um, and I just remember this elbow and it was Tamika Catchings 
And it was just, oh. it, it wasn't, it didn't hurt. But I was yeah. like, ooh. And I just, I remember crouching down on the ground and dropping to one knee. And I remember Lauren coming over to me and, and Sammy Richards was a point guard as well on the court at the time. And yeah. she was like, well, she's patting me on the back. She's like, you're right, Screeny, stand up. You got it. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. I've got it. <laughs> and I remember, I remember standing up because I was a bit of a tough, mm -hmm. a tough player, right? Yeah. You'd have to, I'd have to have broken legs or something to make me not play, right? <laughs> and I remember standing up and then I turned to Sammy, our point guard, and she's like, yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, Jesus. And I went, what? She's like, nothing, nothing, you're fine. <laughs> and I remember running up and down a couple more times and I was just like, oh, my, I started not to be able to see. And I was like, what's going on? And then mm -hmm. um, I was like, I need a sub. And they subbed me out and they took me to the change rooms and they injected uh, adrenaline into my eye oh. socket to try and stop the swelling and the bleeding. Mm -hmm. And me being my stupid self, I was like yelling at the doctor um, at the time mm -hmm. and just, I was like, just cut it. Like, just cut it. Let the blood come out. They did it. <laughs> Let them just do it for me. And he's like, Jenny, we can't do that. I'm like, but I've got to go back out there. And um, unfortunately, it was just too hard to play with one mm -hmm. eye. And the doc called me time. And I just had to sit there and encourage my teammates from the side. But it literally didn't hurt. It just obviously got the, I guess, the sweet spot, as you'd say. And yeah. The rest is history. Um, but my teammates, Laura Hodges, she did a great job of trying to cover it up for the, the yep. photos and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was uh it was the only black eye I think I saw of any athlete in the Australian <laughs> team. It was pretty gross actually. But anyway, that happens when you put your body on the line, hey. Yeah. Now you return to the Adelaide Lightning for the 2011-2012 WNBL season. Can you expand on coming back to Adelaide and how that all came about? Yeah, I was meant to go to Poland um, after um, 2010, uh, sorry, 2012, mm -hmm. uh, but I was having troubles with my knee and um, and it was, it was really struggling. So um, actually that was before the Olympics, but no, 2012 was great. Um, I'd already played a year in 2011 uh, with the Adelaide Lightning coming back from my knee injury. And, um, you know, I just finished off my career in Adelaide. It was what I'd known. It's all I'd known. And yeah. I'm a pretty loyal person. And um, I, I wanted to finish there. And, um, and that's what I did. And I called it a day in, I think, 2015. And um, I was still in the Opal squad. I retired from that in 2014. I just woke up on tour one day and... <laughs> I've done enough, you know, what more can I do here? And uh, it was time. I was pretty young. I was only 32, 33, but mm -hmm. I had other things I wanted to do. I'd completed my master's at the, um, at the, uh, at a university in strength and conditioning and sports science. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to try new things. Basketball would give mm -hmm. me a lot. And now it was time to move on. And some days I regret it. Some days I, I wish I was still playing because I have that competitive drive, but yep. I just other ways to get that competitive juice out of me a little bit post career you've had numerous jobs as sort of a high performance and strength and conditioning coach and a physical trainer what were these years like for you and what was the experience of these roles like um pretty good I mean I transitioned very quickly I, I started playing for roles in my last year when I was playing professionally with Adelaide and I got mm. a job in January so I pretty much packed up Adelaide and and moved straight to Melbourne and I haven't left um, so, uh, these jobs, you know, I, I dived 
head in or head first. And, you know, yeah. I, I was in an environment, strength and conditioning is, is very male dominated. And yeah. um, I was walking into an industry that, you know, women were starting to make their mark and stuff, but it was taking its time still. But I, I don't see that as a disadvantage. I'm, I, I don't even see gender. I just go, this is who I am. This is what mm -hmm. I believe in. This is what I'm good at. And I'll speak my mind regardless of whether you're a male or female. And I've always um, prided myself on having a voice at the table. So my first job was pretty cool. I was ahead of a program and 140 athletes uh, here in wow. Melbourne. Um, I moved to Indonesia for a year and I um, was working with the Rio um, Indonesian Olympic team. Mm -hmm. and, and that was another challenge because now not only am I an SNC, I'm also in a third world country where women are treated very differently. And, yep. um, and I was pretty much the top, the top dog, right? So mm -hmm. I remember being called woman at meetings. Um, I remember, so it, which didn't bother me, but it, it can be quite offensive, but mm -hmm. that's where you have to uh, appreciate culture and di different way things are done in different countries. Um, so, you know, that was pretty exciting. And then um, I just continued in that field. I loved my biggest thing about what I want to do, and I'm still not sure what I want to do because now I'm in coaching again, back on the basketball court and the hard floor. Um, I just like to use either of these platforms to allow people to find the best in themselves, right? Yep. So whether that's in lifting weights and, you know, because you can't hide in the weight room, right? If you don't do the work, yeah. show. And it's the same on the basketball court. If you don't do the work, it'll show. So I want to... I want to encourage these young players to uh, find what they're capable of because I think it's pretty hard these days growing up in this world mm -hmm. and with all the social media and distractions and negativity and pressure and if I can be a shining light for some of these people and, and give them some confidence and, and belief in themselves, then that's I feel like I'm doing my job and paying it forward. You're currently part of the FIBA Player Commission and Board. What's your role here? Well, like I said before, I speak up and I say my opinions and sometimes they're not liked. And, you know, mm -hmm. the, the FIFA Players Commission is an opportunity for us to be a voice for players around the world and um, from yep. all different continents. And, and now I'm deputy chair for my second term and wow. I sit behind Dirk Nowinski and obviously, he, you know, who Dirk Nowinski <laughs> yeah, is. So of I'm course. far from uh, Dirk Nowinski, but we... Um, we we, uh, we try to do the best we can and implement different programs and create awareness around, um, you know, athletes and athlete transition and athlete well-being, uh, making sure our athletes are taken care of and, um, and, and also being a voice for those that can't be a voice because, you know, you've got your top tier countries, but there's also a lot of other countries as well um, that don't get the resources and um, support like the 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 countries like myself that I and yeah. you are lucky to grow up in. So, um, you know, we meet every, uh, now it's by Zoom. Normally it usually, usually is in Switzerland. I get to fly over there <laughs> a couple of times a year, which I'm really missing. Um, but, you know, at the moment we're about to implement a, um, a program um, and a mental program for players around the world for who are retired that go back to their, their national federations and can help the, the next year and next generation and, and support them through their journey as well. So it's pretty exciting. Um, it's a small piece of the puzzle, even though mm -hmm. it's small, it's still very much important. So how much do you communicate or talk to Dirk Nowitzki? <laughs> Quite a bit. 
be surprised. We have a WhatsApp and we chat and we check in with each other. Normally it's me just throwing digs at him and, yeah. um, you know, a bit of banter and stuff. But <laughs> we have to communicate a lot. He's a great human being uh, for someone yeah. of his stature and for doing mm-hmm. what he's done not only for the NBA and Dallas Mavericks but for his country, his homeland, Germany. Um, he is the most down-to-earth bloke you could ever meet and I'm yeah. grateful that paths have crossed and I look forward to work working him with working with him for the next two three years. In 2017, you became a special commentator of basketball for Fox Sports. How did your role here come about? Called persistence and annoyance. All right. <laughs> so, um, I dabbled in it with a bit with the WNBL, and um, mm-hmm. I'd done some finals when I was still playing with the ABC, and I did some stuff with Channel Nine in the Oceania series against New Zealand, and and had been also with the, the WNBL as well. Um, and then with the NBL, I just I just kept emailing, you know. I think my mum and my dad taught me that the squeaky wheel gets oiled, right? So um, sometimes you just got to keep letting people know you're around and you're willing yep. to do things and you might be willing to do them for nothing in order mm-hmm. to just maybe get an opportunity. And, and that's what I did. I'm just like, hey, I'm here. I'm passionate about this. I think I'd yep. be a... A good contributor. I know the game. I've played it for a very long time. You need to have women, um, you know, commentating. We have men commentating women's game. Yeah. Why can't <laughs> women commentating men's game? It's the same game, mm-hmm. um, even though we're different gender. So it was nice to finally get the opportunity, and um, and I'm enjoying it. And a lot of these players I know still, right? Because the yeah. older ones, especially, uh, I played. Um, at the same time that they were coming through. So um, there's a mutual respect there. They know that I know the game. So it makes it easier for me to speak to them and mm-hmm. um, and talk about the game. And, um, yeah, it's a challenge. It's live TV, right? You know, yeah. got, my first one, I had to open the, the MBL um, last year. And yeah. I was doing my pants. You think <laughs> I was going out on an Olympic stage? This was even – I was – more nerve-wracking and I remember mm-hmm. Corey Homicide Williams who I know you've interviewed he's like yep. hey girl, just you know you gotta breathe you got it you got it I'm like oh, <laughs> I'm about to pass out here and I was live there was no pre-record and I remember yeah. and we did a few practice re- um run-throughs while the players were on the court mm-hmm. but I remember that year it was like three two one cue Jenny and it was like yeah. go and um it was the the most daunting 20 seconds of my life and the most adrenaline pumping ever. Mm-hmm. I didn't swear. I didn't screw it up. I looked okay on TV too. I was pretty impressed. <laughs> uh, and Corey was a good right-hand man. And, and then the rest is history. I remember when it cut off and I sent it to, you know, the boys in the studio, I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> it's getting easier, but, you know, I still have bloopers to this day. I was Who was I interviewing the other day? Mason Peatling, uh, yep. just a pretty board and it's probably like you maxi and it's a bit easier this way but when it's um mm-hmm. you, sometimes you can't just the words just don't come out right yep. like, oh. yeah and you're live yeah and you yeah. want to do it again well, this one wasn't live this was a pre-record so i go oh let's do it again let's yeah. do it again but you know <laughs> to get shirty you know yep. they, they prepare for a game and mm-hmm. i remember on the fourth one i was like i swore because i was just angry at myself it'd be a great blooper for sure <laughs> but we finally got there and um you know, but I think that's where you live, right? Hey, you know, you live yep. on that boundary of fear 
and you either jump over or you don't. And mm -hmm. when it's live TV, you just got to jump and you hope. And, and it's like you, Max, I think it's awesome what you do. You know, mm -hmm. you put yourself out there, you know, asking people, people could probably say, no, I don't want to. And, yeah. um, but like the squeaky wheel, you just keep going back to them. If they don't yeah. respond, I'd <laughs> love to speak to you. And hopefully more often than not, you realize that people are pretty normal and, and most will get back to you. Um, now, what was that like to speak to Mason Peatman? We've had him on the podcast, by the way, and watch him um, now that Melbourne United obviously has that, that um, big hole left without Jack White and watch him step up um, into a much bigger role. That sport, hey, is um, getting yeah. opportunity, right? And he's grasping those opportunities with two hands. Mm -hmm. He's very well, as you would know um, from mm -hmm. interviewing him. And he's um, a very grounded young man and, and mm -hmm. um, he's doing a great job, you know, um, he doesn't have to do anything fancy. He's in a team full of superstars. Yeah. So his job is just to be the glue guy, pick up those couple of rebounds, yep. run the floor hard. He, he Work runs hard. exceptionally hard, yep. you know, um, shut down some people, be a bit physical because he's not going to play big minutes. So he can, yep. he can afford to bang bodies and get under people's skin a little bit. And, and the biggest thing for him, right, is not only to learn when he's on court and getting this starting five opportunity, but mm -hmm. it's also, to me right when I first time with Adelaide and being in a team of superstars yep. you get to learn from these people seeing how they move how they yeah. work what they do outside training hours like what more extra time do they put into being a professional athlete and I'm sure Mace is learning that firsthand from the likes of Jock and and Dave. absolutely so you know yep. Dave Barlow has been around for a long time because yeah. he's had a lot body right so you know um i'm sure he will um continue to blossom and and make the most of these opportunities that he's coming his way i heard i think it was uh pete hawley and liam santa maria the other night um last night by the way speaking about and on joe luala chul and how um he's progressing so well and he sort of needs to step into a much bigger role and liam was saying like whether it's at this club or another club what's your perspective um on big joe yeah, look, he's great. He doesn't like doing interviews, though. He's not an interview person. He always <laughs> says no. Um, and and that's okay because some people aren't comfortable in front of the yeah. camera. But, you know, he, he's dominating and he's in a team also. Like, yeah. if you look at Melbourne United's bench. They've got a lot of guys on the bench that could probably be big impact players yeah. in other teams. So, and he's one of them. And it'll be interesting to see how he goes for the rest of the year and can he mm -hmm. consistently put games together, right? Yeah. You know? starting to show that whereas last yes. year or the year before he's still a bit inconsistent in his game yep. but he, if he can become relied upon and be that consistent guy that comes off the bench gets you mm -hmm. know close to a double double um yeah. impact, impact is also on the defensive end and protect the rim a little bit well then you know melbourne united are gonna have to do a, a job in in order to keep him because i'm sure there's going to be a lot of clubs after him very very soon Mid-2019, you took on the role um, of being the women's Metro High Performance Coach at Victoria Basketball. Why did you decide to uh, take on this opportunity? Um, I don't know because I kind of stepped away from coaching. I didn't think that's where I wanted to be, um, mm -hmm. although I was coaching in strength and conditioning, right? So I was still ultimately coaching. Yep. Coaching to me is a form of teaching. And, um, and if you want to be a great coach, you've got to be a good teacher and a good yeah. listener. And... Um, 
this opportunity popped up. I literally only found out about it, I think three days before the application closed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think that I would be a great candidate. I thought, no, nah, I'm not gonna have the credentials um, or the capability. There'll be people far better than me. And, but I went, nah, stuff it. I'm gonna put my hat in the ring. <laughs> and um, I got an interview and I probably came at it at a different angle in terms yes. of I may not have the experience from being a coach and in the game and structures and stuff, even though, you know, I played the game for 16 years. Yeah. So I do know the game. <laughs> but just because you're a player doesn't mean you'll be a great coach. So um, I came at it from the perspective of I'm working, if I get this role, I'm working with 12 to 18-year-olds. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's important to develop great relationships, be able to communicate, mm -hmm. um, inspire these kids. So for me, if, if I can do that and develop a foundation of trust and, and also challenging them, but challenging them with a caring arm, then that makes the teaching stuff so much easier. So mm -hmm. um, for me, it's not so much about the X's and O's. Whilst that's important, it's about the relationships. And for me, that's where I pride myself on and, and hoping that I develop that with these kids and yep. um and so I, I was fortunate enough to get the job. And as you know, COVID hit last year. So I only got to really taste it for six months. And then yeah. it was closed. And it was, I think, 307 days that our, our players in Victoria, like you, Maxie, know, you know, you, you yeah. had to do school from home. And yeah, <laughs> game of basketball. And that that's tough, man. And um, it's tough having to not be around friends and, we're humans, right? And humans need yeah, human connection. Exactly. And sport was a big, a uh, big thing in a lot of these kids' lives. And it's so nice to see it back. Um, but um, you know, I love being around these kids. I love, you know, be like working with you, Max. But mm -hmm. it's I get to see them grow up. Uh, I get to see mm -hmm. them, you know, um, get challenged and how they respond. And I get to see them ultimately become great. I hope um, young women and young men that whilst they may not make it, and let's be honest, yeah. not everyone's going to make it regardless of the aspirations and dreams they have. But if we can use basketball as a vehicle to teach them uh, good character behaviour about time management, turning up on time, yeah. working in team, um, uh, confidence and all those type of things, then that helps them off the court and in life. Mm -hmm. And that's just important then on the basketball court as well. What's it like to be... Um, at the NBL and with the NBL and at the games and court side and sort of speaking to players and coaches. Yeah, it's good. It's um, it's a bit nerve wracking because I'm a big self doubter. I'm a bit of a pe pessimist, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> that's probably, I'm a perfectionist, uh, which is probably my greatest asset, but my greatest downfall. Like I want everything to be perfect, and mm -hmm. I like control, which doesn't help sometimes, right? And yeah. um, rather than just backing myself that I know my stuff. It was really hard my, my last year and commentating. I felt like I had to prove myself and who is she? Why is she here? Like, what does she know? And then I'm like, no, why do I care about what they think? Like I played this yeah. game for 10 years. I, I know the game. Like <laughs> I played at a higher level than most of these guys running around. Right. So mm -hmm. once I got comfortable with that, it got a bit easier and uh, the players are great. Um, the coaches at halftime can be a bit challenging because you never know, I guess, if they're going to be like a Greg Popovich, right? Yeah. And come out all shirty and grumpy <laughs> and going to, you know, think you're an idiot for a question you're asking. Um, yeah. 
And but you know, for the most part, they've been great. And hey, I understand sometimes that when they're in, they're in the battle, why would they want to talk to me? But yeah, you know, sports become <laughs> a business. Um, so at the same time, it, it's part of it, right? These guys yeah. wouldn't be getting paid what they are or being able to do and have the luxuries they do without media and journalists. Yeah being on tv so it's part of the package right so it's it's good i love to watch their sitting there watch the games and being able to be at the timeouts because i am a coach and i yeah. and i watch i watch the game strategically um i'm a bad fan because i don't just <laughs> watch it for the purity of the game but being able to listen to timeouts and and learn from some of the greats in the game trevor gleason brian gorgian and how mm-hmm. they do their timeouts what they say hey i'm i get I get to learn, man. I get to take <laughs> away and put that into my skill set as, as a coach in my ride or go, mm-hmm. oh, I could do that. Maybe I'd do this differently and stuff like that. So I see every every opportunity to watch a game as an opportunity to um, grow and learn, not only as a as a commentator and a, and a sideline um, uh, special comments, but also as a coach as well. So I... I feel grateful for getting that opportunity, both in the NBL and the WNBL. Yeah. Being a part of the inaugural NBL Cup, what are your thoughts um, on the future of the Cup and how did you find it being at so many games in such a short period of time? Oh, it was exhausting. Like, you know, <laughs> we're doing one interview and you'll get off and you'll probably sleep well tonight, but trying to do back-to-back games and I wasn't even in the hub, but for the, for the reporters, it would have been tough um you know yeah. doing games and you've got to be on all the time it's pretty draining and and you, you finish two games and, and you go I don't want to talk to anyone I do not want to say another word for the <laughs> um and and it becomes like that and I think it's a great concept um mm-hmm. I think uh the NBL did a great job to improvise and navigate their way through COVID and I think the players and, and the teams did a fabulous job. Um, you know, I feel for the likes of Perth when they had to move to um, Melbourne within 24 yeah. hours. I feel for New Zealand, they still haven't been home since December. Um, but that's just the way it is, you know. Um, that's mm-hmm. the grind. That's what you sign up for. And I think for the most part, every club has done exceptionally well trying to navigate what is COVID and the fragility of are yeah. we playing who are we playing? No, we're not. That's cancelled. All right, let's prepare for this one. No, that's cancelled. Oh, now we're playing this team. And now the next, now the next three rounds of fixtures are out. Yeah, and so, yeah. it could change. You know, it could change mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. And some have had to change, and some haven't. So it's tough. But I love the concept, and I think you'll see some of it next year. Um, maybe in a smaller, compact version. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe at different places around Australia. And um, I think it's got a, it'll be great if we could add that as not only the NBL championship because Europe do it, they have yep. a, a cup or a, a those type of things. And they're just as important um, as the championship. And you could see yeah. when you put a bit of money on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, credit to the NBL and all involved for fighting their way through it. It was pretty exciting. Now I've got to ask, what are your thoughts on um, the NBA prospect, young prospect Josh Giddy? Um, he's having a fantastic season so far, and he's only getting better. We're seeing him start to put up some three balls and knock them down and things like that. What's your perspective on him going in the NBA and things like that? Yeah, well, I think it'll happen. I think it, 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 I, I take my hat off to him for having the the level shoulders that he does on him, or the mm-hmm. um, the ability to take it all on. Can you imagine like being yeah. that age? 18, 19. 
you like he it's a credit to his family um that yeah. he is so level-headed and you know it's great to see him be able to work on his three ball because that was probably one of his deficits you know mm-hmm. to be able to stretch and um no one being able to take time off him now because he will drop knock down the three I still think he's got to work on it phenomenal passer yeah. his dad was an amazing passer in his own right and his dad will probably say he Absolutely. was absolutely <laughs> You know, I'd love to see teams scout him a bit better. He loves to go left, yeah. um, especially off that mid-pick and roll. But the world's his oyster, mate, um, and I'm sure he will write an amazing story um, in his own life book. And uh, it'll be pretty exciting for us Australians to be able to watch it. I feel like he's almost like the next Joe Ingalls. Like we yeah, remember yeah. back in when he played for, um, when he first came out of the AIS. Yeah. And was playing for the South, the Dragons and Dragons, yeah. season. I feel like they're very similar, same height. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, you know, Joe's a phenomenal shooter as well, and that's something that Giddy will get better at with time. Um, yep. And sometimes we forget he's only eighteen or mm-hmm. nineteen. Nineteen, yeah. So you know, it's exciting just to see that what's to come. And yeah, for sure, he'll um, find himself in the NBA. And if it's not in the next year it'll be soon enough and um or in Europe as well because let's not forget mm-hmm. that the European game is pretty bloody good as well. What AFL team do you support? Oh to be honest, look I haven't um ever since COVID I I haven't turned on the TV. So I haven't watched mainstream TV since March 19 last year because I got so sick of the negative media around COVID. So I just, I only watch Netflix now and Stan and KO, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and the like and ESPN. But um, so if, if I tell you I go for Carlton, it's only because my, my, my husband is a tragic Carlton. <laughs> um, and I come from New South Wales. So I grew up not like. NRL? I, well, I was, I'm a Novocastrian. I'm from Newcastle. So yeah. I was always a Newcastle uh, rugby league supporter. But because yeah. now I'm in Melbourne, you never really see it. Um, yep. The Storm are phenomenal. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just, I love the underdog, man. I'm just yeah. an underdog. So I'll, all I like in any sport, because I'm not a fanatical fan, is just yep. quality games, um, close games, um, and and the underdog mentality. Um, you can't go past Richmond. I mean, they've done so well yep. for so long. I have a few players that I know because I've worked at, VFL level um, at, mm-hmm. at a certain club and have seen players go on to to play at AFL level. So, you know, probably Carlton or Richmond. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm not that blooded supporter where I'm going to live or die with it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to die if they lose next week. It's just, yep. on, I'll watch it. If it's not, I don't. So mm-hmm. I guess after you've played sport for so long in your life, you kind of get sick of it after a while, to be honest. <laughs> If um if you could go out with anyone for dinner, who would it be? Um, well, I I always love the conversation with my husband. Like, um, and because I'm so busy, I hardly get to see him. And yep. he's a leveler and very. I call him the oracle. He he doesn't <laughs> very much, but he's very wise with his words. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of someone that I'd love to to learn off, um, oh. Who, who, who? Mm. I don't think it'd be an athlete. Yeah. Um, I think it would be someone. Uh, um, oh, you, you've got me, man. You got me stumped. Who would I go out to dinner with? 
Um, who would I go out to dinner with? Um, probably, probably like a prime minister or a president type. Yeah. Um, I'd actually know one athlete I'd love to chat to is Andre Agassi. Yep. Um, I'd love to spend time with um, some people in the SNC world that you wouldn't know mm -hmm. um, that I think are amazing in what they do and they're, and then coaching and they're teaching. Um, and then um, who else? about it i don't i don't yeah i couldn't tell you probably my husband <laughs> <laughs> now you're a huge inspiration and role model um to all the young women out there what advice would you give the ones who want to create history and break down the barriers and your and as you and your australian opals teammates have and did um i think it's to continue to have continue to work hard um, I say this to kids now, like you, people have dreams, right? And I'm sure you yeah. have dreams and I could imagine what your dreams are. And I, mm -hmm. knowing what you're doing right now, I know you will reach your dreams, but um, you can have dreams. But if your goals and your, sorry, your habits and your choices you make don't align with your goals, mm -hmm. then you've got no chance of, of, yeah. of this goal, right? So you've got to make sure your choices and your habits align with that. Now, if they don't, you've got two choices. You either change your, your, your habits um, and your choices mm -hmm. or you change your goal. Yep. Um, and that's why people get disappointed, right? They're like, well, I didn't achieve that. It's like, well, hang on. What were you doing throughout your, your days and the choices where you yeah. made to make sure that happens? So that's a big thing. Um, working hard. I'm, I'm a big believer of working hard. I'm a big believer of getting knocked down and getting back up. I think, you mm -hmm. know, sometimes we want the easy road and, the easy road does not exist in success. And um, and uh, I think it's important that, you know, sometimes the things that happen that seem bad to us can um, can actually be good. We just have to learn to find the good. And yeah. for young women or, and young people in general, not just women, I think for boys as well, because I think it's hard for you guys growing up these days, mm -hmm. is just to be brave and have the courage to be you because I think, Every individual is amazing and has something to offer. And I think if you can find that in yourself and surround yourself with people that are like-minded and challenge mm -hmm. you to be better, um, then you will only be better. And um, that's all I want for young people is to, to be brave enough to, to believe in themselves. And that, that's pretty tough in this, in this day and age. But if you can get a great circle around you, it will only help mm -hmm. that. Thanks, Jenny, for coming on the podcast today and coming on for a chat and putting aside an hour or so of your time. Um, it's been an honour to have you on. Mate, it's been great to have you. I think you've done a phenomenal job. Um, I'm excited to see where your journey goes. Obviously, you love journalism and broadcasting mm -hmm. and yep. you very well. Um, if my advice to you, I don't know if you do it now, but I'd get involved in speech and drama and television mm -hmm. and do that stuff. I did that when I was your age. and. Yep. Deadfords and learn how to read poetry mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important because that'll only give you more and more confidence going forward and um, I wish you all the best buddy make sure you start to interview some some more famous more famous because I am far from famous some, <laughs> some amazing female athletes and if you need yeah. anything just let me know and I'll kick a few of them your way thanks Jenny stay tuned everyone for some more sporting max Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube. 
This episode was brought to you by The Missing Link.